Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Coming soon, a new Labor Secretary. That's right, Marty Walsh is stepping down. That train derailment in Ohio. Another wake-up call? Today on the show, we check in with the Connecticut State Employees and Labor's International, Local 563 in the state of North Dakota. Welcome to the Wednesday, February 8th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Travis Woodward is our first guest on the show today. He is president of the Connecticut State Employees Association, which, by the way, is affiliated with the Service Employees International Union. Their local is 2001, website csea-ct.com. They represent about 22,000 active and retired public service employees in the state of Connecticut. And his background is uh, quite fascinating. Uh, Both his parents were state employees. He started his career at the Connecticut Department of Transportation, then got laid off. During his layoff, he started working for a consulting company, which was (laughs) non-union. He had a really bad experience there. The company jacked up health care costs and didn't really explain that to employees why they were doing that. I mean, many have done that, but at least they could have been upfront about it. Then he found his way to the union and uh, worked his way up to the position that he has today, which is president. We're going to talk about child care. Actually, it's a crisis in America right now. Right now, 50 percent of Connecticut residents live in what is called a child care desert. Yes. And uh, as a result, they started this program, Care for Kids, which basically helps low to moderate income families in Connecticut pay for child care costs. I tell you, I know this all too well because my kids and my grandkids, I mean, they're going through this right now. It's extraordinary, extraordinary. And the people that are taking care of our kids, they're getting screwed. Right now, a lot of the providers in the state of Connecticut are making just $8.50 an hour with no health care coverage, zero. We'll also get into privatization, talk about understaffing at the Department of Transportation. And uh, another issue is paraeducators, paras, are critical parts of the educational community and their impact on the lives of students cannot be overstated, says Travis. He's going to get into details on this. Apparently, last year, the legislature passed bills that improved the school paraeducator advisory council and put in place a system for career development so those folks that are involved in the education system can move up the ladder, and hopefully make some more money down the road. So Travis will be our first guest. Pamela Trollick will be joining us later in the show on behalf of Labor's International Local 563, and we're going to talk about uh, North Dakota. Pamela 
is the Director of Government Relations and New Business Development. And uh, this is a position, not too many unions have this position, and she's going to talk about that. Uh, This is a very, very politically active union all around the country. And uh, Pam says, Lyuna has been part of the construction fabric in North Dakota for more than 70 years. Prime work with turnarounds, maintenance in the state's coal-fired power generation plants. Now that work obviously has declined with technology. Two plants are being decommissioned. Cost cuts by companies that they're dealing with. There's also pipeline work. Heavy highway construction, industrial, commercial building, major water, sewer work, wind farms. They are very instrumental during the uh, highly debated pipeline project in the in the state. The Dakota Access Pipeline, where Lyuna members from North Dakota were there from the moment the project was announced and managed to sway the legislature and hire all union brothers and sisters on that. We'll get an update on that as well. This is a, uh, not what you call a very union-friendly state, and we'll talk about that as well. Union density, not very, very good, but Layuna, pretty strong. Local563.org is their website, so Pamela Trollick will be our second guest on the show. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Our Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh, who, in my opinion, is probably one of the best Labor Secretaries we've ever had. Well, guess what? He's leaving the Biden administration. And for very good reason. He's going to make a whole lot of money. He is going to run the National Hockey League Players Association. Now, that union has been searching for a new executive director to take over for Don Fear who has been in charge for more than a decade. Now, a person close to Marty said he has already undergone a vetting process and he is likely to take the job. The announcement should be coming down in a couple of days. They have to have a vote by the executive board in which 18 of the 32 team player reps would have to vote for Marty Walsh. And that's a formality. Many are saying, hey, it's a done deal. It'll be unanimous. Right now, Marty, who's 55, makes a salary of $235,600 a year as Secretary of Labor. That's, that's a monumental job. I mean, he's traveling all around the country, working day and night. The current guy at the Players Association for the NHL, Don Fear, is making $3.5 million. <laughs> Not a bad jump, huh? Marty moved into politics after uh, rising through the ranks of uh, Lyuna. That would be local uh, 223 out of Boston. Eventually became its president, elected to the Massachusetts House of Representatives. That was in 1997. Stayed in the legislature. Until being elected mayor of Boston, he was also head of the building trades in Massachusetts. Great guy. We did an interview with him. It was in 2021 for their Labor Day show. And this is a stand-up guy. I mean, 100% union. Great guy. So the interesting part of this is who's going to replace him? 
We'll stay on that one. By now, you probably have been following the news in um, East Palestine, Ohio. This happened Friday night when a train derailed. I mean, my gosh, the pictures are unbelievable. In fact, it took three days for people to say, hey, guess what? This is a toxic chemical that's burning right now. It's vinyl chloride, and they're evacuating people around that area. Well, yesterday, Ohio's governor, Mike DeWine, said his administration will discuss taking action to improve the condition of the state's rail network. He was asked if he was concerned about the railways and whether there is a need to better inspect or upgrade them. And his response was, well, that's something we're talking about inside our administration right now. But he noted that railroad regulation is primarily the job of the federal government. But he added, having gone through this the last several days, you're dealing with a type of situation that we have and still have. It certainly grabs your attention. We need to figure out what the problem was and we need to understand it. This is a state where a lot of railroads go through, and some of them are carrying some very highly combustible and dangerous products. So we need to make sure it's as safe as we can make it. Now, some stats on that. Ohio has one of the largest and densest railroad networks in the country, more than 5,100 miles of track crisscrossing the state. In general, rail is considered to be the safest way to move large quantities of materials, even hazardous materials, over long distances. And that's according to the Federal Railroad Administration. So the governor said that he and his administration will wait to see the final results of that federal probe in which 50, 50 Norfolk Southern freight cars, 10 of which carried hazardous materials, went off the tracks Friday night. And this happened near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. In fact, the governor of Pennsylvania was also chiming in on the situation. And uh, again, it took a while before they ordered a mandatory evacuation when they realized that uh, vinyl chloride was on board that train. I'm sure the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO will be on this story. Next time we uh, have Greg Regan, perhaps we'll have some more information on that. After launching... The first strike among the city's workers in two decades, Portland City workers, this is Portland, Oregon, reached a tentative agreement. More than 600 workers, members of Labor's International Local 483, went on strike last Thursday after a year of negotiations broke down. The two sides took part in 12 hours of mediation before coming to an agreement, which still must be approved. Members of the local fix sewage leaks, clean trash at city parks, clear streets of ice and snow, among other things. Come in here from James O'Loughlin. He's a field rep for local uh, 483. Jim says, I think there's a lot of work yet to be done, but this is a great foundation to build upon for our membership and really for working standards in the whole Portland community. If we did not get investment of this kind, I think we're going to see a mass exodus of people from this contract. It's hard to live in this community financially. I know the cost of living is pretty astronomical there. One of my nephews lives over there and is pretty shocked by uh, housing costs. By the way, the new contract 
is for uh, four years. It includes a 3% raise for the first year, which is retroactive to July of last year, 2022. They also have cost of living adjustments. In the second year, another 5% cost of living adjustment is scheduled. And after that, the final two years of the contract will see increases based on the federal consumer price index. All right. All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, Travis Woodward will be joining us on behalf of the Connecticut State Employees Association. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to the state of Connecticut right now. Joining us on our live line today is Travis Woodward. He is president of the Connecticut State Employees Association affiliated with the Service Employees Local 2001. Mention that website again. It's csea-ct.com. Travis, I was looking on your uh, website. Are we still looking at uh, 22,000 active and retired public service employees in the state of Connecticut. Is that right? Yeah, we're a little bit closer to 24,000 right now, but between the 22 and 24,000 range between active and retired workers. Good, good, good. And their history goes back to uh, 1941 when they were organized. Now, Travis, I remember the last time we had you on the show, which is probably about seven, eight months ago, you had an interesting story. Maybe you can refresh our listeners how you uh, got involved in the union and i guess the best way to to cut to the chase on that is to work for a non-union company and you realize you're getting screwed can you can you tell us that story briefly oh absolutely yeah so i was fresh out of college when i was employed by dot back in 2002 as a project inspector um just eight months into my state service i was laid off by a corrupt governor uh he laid off only members of unions that didn't support his election campaign. So 
uh, I did what any other laid off person did and got another job, but it ended up being for a private consulting firm doing the same work for the state. Uh, I worked there for over a year, uh, but it was the union and their tireless fight to gain workers' rights that got me my job back 16 months after being laid off. Uh, while working there, I, I should mention, um, they were picking up the tab, this private consulting firm, uh, uh, for our health care. They were paying 66% of it. Um, we got a letter randomly just one week that, that said, we're going to reduce it to 60%. And, you know, we, we kind of threw our hands up in the air and he kind of had to just take it on the chin, I guess. Um, th there's nothing we could do because we didn't have a union. Um, but after those 16 months, I got my job back with the state. Uh, once I got back, I wanted to do what I could to prevent layoffs for future employees. I became heavily involved with my union, attending meetings, volunteering for chapter office, a union steward role, and eventually moving up to, to a council president and then president of our local where I am now. That corrupt governor, by the way, ended up in prison for corruption and ended up uh, being on the hook for those illegal layoffs. I believe he received a free hot tub from a contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable what goes on in politics. Just amazing. Well, at least he uh, he's serving. Is he out of jail yet or what? He is. And he actually uh, was a special guest on, on a talk show for, for quite a while. And um, you know, he still kind of spouts out all the same gross stuff as, as when he was governor back in the day. It's amazing to me. Well, we got to do layoffs, but we're just we're just going to deal with the union members. Get rid of the union members because they just didn't yeah, support but all, me. Only the unions that didn't support them. That the union that did support them that had zero layoffs. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's talk about uh, your local here. Not your local, but your now. You do you cover the entire state then? Um, yes. So I, I cover employees throughout the state in, in many different realms, public, private, retired. Um, but yes. Okay. Okay. That is local uh, 2001 affiliated with yes. the Service Employees International Union. All right. You got to talk to me about this child care desert. And, and I know this from my kids and they're having a real tough time dealing with child care. That's in the state of Ohio. What I'm reading here in uh, Connecticut, not very good. Can you uh, detail what's going on here? Yeah, so like you mentioned, 50% uh, of Connecticut residents live in a child care desert. And uh, and the very fragile child care foundation our economy is relying on is crumbling. Connecticut's Care for Kids program helps low to moderate income families in Connecticut pay for child care costs while providing stable work for child care providers who are predominantly women of color. Uh, the program is, partner is a partnership between the state of Connecticut uh, the families in the program, and the providers who take care of the children. But right now, those providers make an effective $8.50 an hour, and they have zero health care coverage. Our providers are in the middle of negotiating for a fair contract that addresses these issues. Um, you know, and, and daycares, that's what, kind of where you want the healthiest people to be taking care of, of, of our kids. And sure. the fact that they don't have health care coverage is it's disgusting. It, it's 2023. And, and things need to change. Uh, it, it's a constant work environment. Um, you know, people think, well, they drop off the kids. They're just taking care of kids for the day. Like, no, they're, they're communicating with these parents throughout the day. I, I would say just the work doesn't stop when you drop off your kids. So, Travis, let's, let me go over this one more time. You're talking about the people that take care of the kids, our kids. 
in the state of Connecticut. They're making $8.50 an hour, around that figure. No health care coverage. Zero. Uh, I assume this has been going on for quite some time. What about the legislature? Are, are, are they trying to bump that number up right now? What, what's, the, what's the state of things right now? Well, we are still pressing legislation that, that would help bolster up our our. Connecticut child care providers, uh, as recent as 2019 to 2021, um, 28% of Connecticut providers left the child care field for better paying jobs outside of child care. Um, so something needs to be done, and we need to reverse this course. Boy, in a hurry, I might add. Let's move on to privatization. I understand that uh, at the Department of Transportation, there's a uh, I guess an understaffing problem. What do we what do we see right now? So we used to be a robust agency of five thousand employees, but we've been cut to the bone. We, we've always been lean. Um, in, in the recent years, we were down to I think thirty two hundred um, fielded positions, and then um, we went through a retirement surge back in twenty twenty one. We we call the silver tsunami, where a lot of our um, more um, more veteran engineers left for the door. Uh, so we are down to still bare bones and we need to do something to, to hire. One of the critical services our engineers provide is oversight and inspection of the construction of our roads and bridges. Um, our priorities are, are keeping the roads safe and contractors honest. And when we don't have enough staff to perform these duties, our work is outsourced to high-priced for-profit companies, many of which are not even based in Connecticut. So having a no-bid contractor oversee a low-bid contractor is quite literally the fox guarding the hen house. So, Travis, uh, it sounds to me that they're more inclined to go with private contractors on this. You mentioned that they were at, what, 5,000 employees? They're down to 3,200 right now. Is that right? Well, they're down to even less. 3,200 is where we were at 10 years ago, and then we had a retirement surge on top of that. So we're closer to 25, 2,600 uh, workers at DOT. And, you know, we have to work on those vacancies as, as best we can. Um, I don't believe it's the governor's choice or management's choice to go private. They want to hire from within. But but now that the silver tsunami has passed and all this infrastructure money is being infused into the country, there is a panic that all of the states are looking for qualified engineers and they're just not out there. Oh, boy. That's a big issue right now. Okay, let's let's go into paraeducators here. Why don't you explain to our uh, listeners what paraeducators are? So paraprofessionals are critical parts of our educational community, um, and their impact on the lives of students cannot be overstated. They work hand-in-hand with teachers within the classroom, uh, just taking care of students. Uh, during the 21 and 22 legislative sessions, uh, we passed bills that improved the School Paraeducation Advisory Council put in place a system for paraeducator career development and one that allows uh, paras to attend student and parent meetings and view individual development plans. And I take it they're not being treated well, especially financially and with benefits then? Correct. We were able to pass legislation for one-time funding for professional development, and Mm -hmm. it permitted the parents to view these education plans for their students. But in 2023, we want to tackle compensation so that they can earn a living wage. We want to cap out-of-pocket health care costs at 5% of wages, 
and we want to require boards of education to join the Connecticut Partnership Plan to obtain savings. Mm-hmm. So the paraeducators are essential to the classroom because the teachers need some assistance, and that's that's the role that they fill in. So, boy, I tell you, you got a lot on your plate, Travis. I mean, do you, do you have a good team helping you out and helping you navigate through this uh, in the current session here of the legislature? Absolutely. We have the best team, the best communications director, the best uh, political director, and uh, we're going to tackle it head on. Do you get some help from uh, Service Employees International on issues like this? We do. We, we have a, a lot of uh, national training, um, but um, you know the, the, real, the real work gets done by our members and our volunteers that get the job done. All right. Well, my hat's off to you and your team over there. Connecticut State Employees Association, csea-ct.com is their website, again, affiliated with the Service Employees International Union. Travis Woodward, thank you for joining us today. Keep in touch. Good luck to you on all those issues. Okay, brother? Thank you for having me again. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to the state of North Dakota and check in with Lyuna Local 563. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Well, as you know, the Super Bowl is this Sunday, and the uh, the players on the field are members of the NFL Players Association. And it should be pointed out that the Super Bowl carries a union label in so many different ways, from the players to the broadcast crews to the stadium workers and the party that you may be throwing in your house. So go to the AFL-CIO homepage, and you will uh, see the union-made products for America's Super Bowl, from beer to meat to chips and salsa. And we're talking about products made by the bakery workers. That's actually the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers in Grain Millers Union, the UAW, the Machinists, UFCW as well as the Teamsters, just to do uh, 
a little rundown on some of the beers, Natural Light, Sam Adams, Michelob Miller, Molson Canadian, Red Stripe, and uh, popcorn. Everybody loves popcorn. Act 2 Popcorn is union-made, along with Bagel Bites, B&M Baked Beans, Cheetos, gotta have those Cheetos, Rolled Gold Pretzels, Ruffles, uh, let's see, Stacy's Pita Chips, Tostitos Chips and Salsa, and Snyder of Berlin Chips. Now, that's just a sampling. Go to uh, aflcio.org forward slash union made, and you can check all the products made by our union brothers and sisters. Speaking of sisters, let's go to the state of North Dakota right now. Joining us on line number two is Pamela Trollick. Pamela is the Director of Government Relations and also New Business Development for Lyuna Local 563. Pam Trollick, did I pronounce that uh, that name correctly there? Absolutely. It's good to be with you. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, I think you probably know that Lyuna is our presenting sponsor, led by Terry O'Sullivan, great general president, lyuna.org. So uh, you have an interesting position. We have lots to talk about today. Director of Government Relations. Uh, not too many unions have a position like this. Maybe give me a little background on yourself and how you fell into this role. Go ahead. I have been part of Lyuna for almost nine years. Prior to that, my focus was in um, internal and external communications, media relations, um, governmental relations, with a Fortune 500 company here in North Dakota that has a utility division, a construction division, an electrical contractor division, and a pipeline division. And even prior to that, I worked for one of the biggest generation and transmission cooperatives in the upper Midwest based out of Minnesota, but I was still an employee in North Dakota. And I was hosting a conference and I was speaking and two members of Lyuna were in that conference. And afterward they recruited me. They came to me because of my connections in the power industry and through our state government and different County officials. And nine years ago I started this work and it has been the single best job I've ever had. Awesome. That is great to hear. So it sounds like you connected right away. Oh, absolutely. Because of the skills that I knew. And in the power plants out here in North Dakota, major turnarounds were all being done by union contractors and hundreds and hundreds of North Dakota building trades members. And I watched Mm -hmm. them for years perform magic in those power plants, taking them all apart. And it was my very first opportunity to really fight for workforce. And it has expanded so much during the past nine years. When you say turn around and taking them all apart, can you be more elaborate on that? Why is that being done? Um, In North Dakota, we have lignite coal-fired power plants. Um, Lignite is... Uh, a lower quality coal, so there's a lot of wear and tear that happens in the turbines, in the boilers, and oftentimes there would be 10 to 12 week full turnarounds where a 
unit would be shut down. Every one of the trades would be in there working on different aspects to keep the plant running smooth, smoothly, to install new technology. And also behind the scenes, Lyuna has been an incredible part in these power plants doing annual maintenance. So that work has been pretty steady over the years. How many members? And I, I guess part of the local goes into uh, Minnesota as well. Can you explain your territory? Yes. The Labor's Local 563 covers all of the state of North Dakota. And we're also part of the Local 563 in Minnesota that stretches all the way into the Twin Cities, coming back to St. Cloud, coming all the way back to Moorhead, which borders Fargo, North Dakota. And combined, there are roughly about 11,000 members in Minnesota and North Dakota. In North Dakota, it fluctuates quite a bit depending on large projects. For instance, um, several years ago, we had a massive pipeline project, and our membership in North Dakota was up to about 1,200. But normally, we hang around 400 to 450 working on maintenance in the power plants. We do a lot of industrial, commercial work, heavy highway work. Currently, we are working to secure some incredible work in the Red River Valley because for the next 10 to 15 years, there's a huge diversion project with the Red River Valley to try and control the epic flooding that happens over there. We are working in ethanol plants, we are known, of course, for our pipeline construction and also fight for wind farm jobs in the state as well, because that is something we are very skilled at. You mentioned about the, the 1,200 people some years ago, and that dwindled down to 400. What, where did they go? What, did they go into various areas? Did they move over into to, uh, Minnesota or, or, uh, or maybe just leave the profession altogether? No, we actually, throughout the different unions, you can transfer from one local to another from various states. We get calls every week. And what happened years ago, of course, was the Dakota Access Pipeline. And there were thousands of union members, um, not just from Lyuna, working on that project that went on, the construction phase went on for well over a year. But the laborers come in prior with, um, environmental and after with environmental for cleanup. So that project was so enormous that we had travelers coming in from other locals working within the state. And our members here in North Dakota have the luxury of moving to other states, transferring out for projects, and they can come back during a different time frame to their original local. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Let's get into that Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, I I'm familiar a whole lot with Keystone because when we've had Terry O'Sullivan on the show, he was just, you know, every time I had him on, he was getting more and more frustrated with that. And then I know Biden, when he came into office, he said, we're done. We're done with that. But let's, let's focus on the Dakota Access Pipeline. What happened there? And uh, where are we with that right now? Is it is it a dead or what? Oh, the Dakota Access Pipeline is fully operational all the way from North Dakota all the way into Illinois. It was, of course, on an international scene. It was such a volatile project. 
the laborers union we were involved from the moment that project was announced and we started attending community hearings we attended hours of public service commission hearings the public service commission in north dakota of course sites pipeline and it was you know the biggest project that we had touched in years as far as pipelines because the original section of the keystone had been in you know way more than a decade prior and of course every media outlet i believe on the planet had you know discussions about dakota access around um, the social causes trying to stop the pipeline we had two of our premier pipeline contractors in the u.s working on that and as i said we probably had up to about 1200 labor members working in the state there has not you know since the project is completed there has been a new attempt you know to increase capacity we've been to those hearings new pump stations it was an incredible project for us but at times it was actually quite dangerous for our members many times members were run off of site their equipment damaged their trucks damaged chased by protesters wow and we we believe we did that job so well it was such a time that our members had never had to engage in with such social volatility and we did it professionally we were back in there for well over a year working on environmental even if there was a small shrub that a landowner wanted or if mm-hmm. there was a certain area where prairie grass wasn't growing our team went back in to make sure that landowners were as happy as they could be we also have an organizer uh, working up in the Bakken area who worked in pipelines for years before he became an organizer. And he was incredibly instrumental in educating landowners, talking to them about what they should, you know, ask for from the contractors, ask for from the company after the pipeline is put in because we wanted every landowner in North Dakota to be able to use their land exactly the way they did prior to the Dakota Access Pipeline going in. Pamela, I'm so glad you told that story because that's the story that is not reported by the mainstream media. They they like the, the video of the protesters, the screaming protesters, and they don't understand what the workers have been going through and the dedication of those workers and the very fact of what you said, they did everything possible to make sure it was safe and secure. All right, Pamela Trollick joining us on our live line today. She's Director of Government Relations and New Business Development on behalf of Lyuna Local 563. Website, real simple, local563.org. We got more to ask Pamela, and we'll do that right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America. 
delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without iron workers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained iron workers and 20,000 apprentices, the Iron Workers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Iron workers, the sky's the limit. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferentz with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Pamela Trollick, who is the Director of Government Relations and New Business Development on behalf of Lyuna Local 563, local563.org. Now, are you based in uh, North Dakota or uh, Minnesota? Because your territory is pretty broad. Where, where are you based there, Pamela? Yes, I am based out of North or North Dakota. I'm right here in Bismarck, the capital city. Bismarck. How's the weather over there? It was 30 yesterday. It's stunning and beautiful. It's shorts weather for high schoolers out here. <laughs> we got some wacky weather. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Amazing. Well, let, let's talk about the politics there, because the interesting part of your job is you've got one state that is not what you call union friendly. And then you got Minnesota, which is uh, kind of a union friendly. I mean, you got two uh, dynamics there. Uh, That's got to be in you being the director of government relations. That's got to be an interesting uh, job for you to navigate. Can you, uh, can you speak to that? Do you go to the various legislatures? I'm I'm sure that's it's almost like uh, from one extreme to the other extreme, right? Oh, you're exactly right. North Dakota, you know, right now we are actually the fourth least populated state. A couple of years ago, we beat Alaska, and we can't believe it. But the North Dakota legislative session meets only every other year. And right now, we are in session. They meet in the odd years. And North Dakota, traditionally for decades, has been highly non-union Going back more than 100 years, union was an awful lot stronger in North Dakota. Our state capital was built union. There are um, edifices and carvings on the capital to to show that union labor built this state back in the day. But it started to change. And we were primarily in the 50s, 60s, early 70s working local in with small industrial commercial contractors and then all of a sudden lignite energy and power generation sprung up in the state and i believe at peak there were nine large 
coal-fired power generation facilities, and we had major industrial contractors coming into the state. And so for 40, 50 years, that became a focus. Well, what's happening now on the environmental scene nationally, internationally, is a movement to move away from coal. And what has happened in those plants, there's been a lot of scaling back of how often you have a turnaround or boiler maintenance. Uh, High technology has changed so much about what needs to be done in those power plants. And for years, that was our prime work. And we have worked so hard on other industries and other contractors. Most of our prime contractors are coming out of the upper Midwest, and they're setting up shop in North Dakota. They're expanding and opening branches. We, we really started early on in the wind farm scene, making inroads there. Uh, we've had several uh, water sewer contractors come in, but still there is an enormous sent- sentiment that uh, we are a non-union state. In fact, people will actually say to us, I don't understand. I thought unions were illegal in North Dakota. That is how much misunderstanding there is. And we work, we've started expanding into career fairs, going down as far as eighth graders and high schoolers, you know, to really talk about what the union lifestyle is and we pay so much better our benefits are so much better to still have strong pensions i mean pensions across the united states are virtually non-existent anymore new companies do not start up with pensions and so we worked so hard with the legislative body to really talk about our history, the work we've done, the work we're capable of. We believe when it comes to work with pipelines, wind farms, that we know how to do it more efficiently, safely. But within the legislative body, North Dakota is one of the most highly Republican states. Out of all of the House and Senate members, we have 16 Democrats left. And that is such a huge switch from the 80s, 90s, even rolling into the early 2000s, where our representation in Washington were Democrat, and our governors continued to be Republican here. And there was such a wonderful mix. There was such a wonderful ability to work together and talk about our issues. And we continue. We know that we're up against a political scene that isn't strong on unions, but we will never give up in this state because we have had thousands of families. And currently throughout all the building trades, thousands of families that love union. They're coming from generations of union where their fathers and grandfathers were working in these power plants. We're working building industrial sites in the 30s and 40s. Lyuna has been in North Dakota for over 70 years, and we're not leaving, and we plan to grow. 
and we plan to bring on more young individuals, whether it's from our own schools here or from out of state, to help people raise their standard of living. I'm reading that the uh, AFL-CIO in North Dakota estimates there's about 25,000 that are represented by unions. That's it in the state of uh, North yes, Dakota. Yes, 25,000. That is such a low saturation. You're looking at less than 10%. Um, yeah. There is strength with the teachers union. There are, you know, we have the United Steel workers. We do have the bakers, confectioners working up and all up and down the Red River Valley. But there are dozens and dozens of small unions in the state uh, for public, private, um, anything from there. There actually is a small union for administrative professionals out of Minnesota that will come in and unionize. In North Dakota, yeah. they're going to do that? Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Yeah. And there are the Minnesota Nurses Association or the Nursing Union has made some inroads in North Dakota to try and organize. So we're here, we're still small, but we will continue this fight for North Dakota workers, for American workers. That's what unions have fought for since the day the first one was chartered in this nation, fighting for workforce. Pamela, I have to ask you, I think that's interesting that Minnesota Union brothers and sisters are going into North Dakota organized. I have to ask you, how are they being received? I mean, uh, there's got to be some saying, stay in your own state, okay? We don't want you here. What's going on with that? Oh, I would imagine, but um, they're such a strong union state. Most all of our building trades are under an umbrella of a Minnesota union. So we have such an interconnection out here, and union members travel most frequently between North Dakota and Minnesota. And so with that strong relationship between our Minnesota and North Dakota unions, it's been a natural fit for some of these smaller unions to come into North Dakota and trying to help workforce organize out here. We accept it. We gladly accept it. Well, we often say that unions lift all boats, so they realize what's going on in Minnesota. They want some of that to happen, a lot of that to happen in the state of North Dakota. So what's your uh, what's your goals here? we got a couple of minutes left, and uh, you got some work to do, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm just wondering, there is a big uptick in organizing, and I know your union, led by Terry O'Sullivan, has been very dynamic in all of this uh unfortunately i'm still bummed that marty walsh is leaving the labor department that's another story but i i understand he's going to make a whole lot of money with the uh, players association in the nhl but uh, that being said with uh with all the tools that you have in your toolbox what's your game plan in, in north dakota 20 you're at twenty five thousand now you got to be looking at maybe 30 35,000 in the years ahead what's uh, what's the story there One of the biggest blessings that we are seeing is this drive across the nation that employees are starting to look at unions. And even though we are in the construction industry, we're looking and we have spoken to individuals that are organizing in Starbucks, in Amazon. There's a used bookstore that has several locations out of Minnesota 
that is organizing. We have watched how large corporations, when small pockets try and unionize, how large corporations come out against them and try and shut everything down. We believe there is a huge bright light on the scene for unions because we get calls. The North Dakota AFL-CIO gets calls. How do we unionize? Which union can we choose? And even though it's a small undercurrent, what happened after 2020, our original pandemic year, truly, we believe as a union that that started a wave that workers understand their voice, they understand their power, they don't want to be abused in a workplace, and that is a wave that's just a ripple right now but we are so excited about it and i think in five to ten years we may have a tsunami across this nation of people organizing unionizing and being able to speak out for themselves we are going to tag on to that wave we are going to speak even louder we have been just in the formation of doing some brand new social media campaigns and different promotions that really show the difference over the life of your career, what you can make as a union member versus a non-union member. And the fact that you do have a voice when it comes to wages and benefits, that's incredible because most of this workforce in the nation has no say in that part of their work life. So we think unions are going to come back. They're going to come back big, and we are going to be an enormous part of that here in North Dakota. Love your attitude. Pamela Trollick joining us on our live line today, and she is the Director of Government Relations, New Business Development for LIUNA. That would be LIUNA Local 563 that covers North Dakota as well as Minnesota. You take care, stay safe, stay strong, and stay in touch. I, like, like I said, I, l- I love your attitude, and you know your, your national motto is feel the power. So let's all feel the power collectively, okay? Absolutely, and thank you so much. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow we'll check in with the UAW and IBEW Local 531 in the state of Indiana. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.